0: To Romans chapter 5 which you'll find on page 1132 um, so we've been working our way slowly through these early chapters of Romans uh, Paul has set out this, this extraordinary um, uh, truth of, of, of this, this gospel of justification by faith right with God uh, only on the basis of what God has done that we receive by just trusting him not by working for it, Um, and he set that out, um, and now we're looking at the so what. Um, How does this, uh, what does this mean? And in the passage that we're looking at in chapter 5, very stark contrasts uh, for us to notice um, in this so what section. Dawn's going to come and read for us.
1: So, we're going to be reading Romans chapter 5, starting at verse 12, and it's on page 1132 in the church Bibles. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all, sin- all sinned, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, Death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is the pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if, by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord.
0: Thanks, Dawn, for reading. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, Lord. Our strong rock and our Redeemer. Amen. It was October 2008, and my younger brother, John, had gone to the gym after work, much as normal. But later in the evening, he experienced an agonizing pain in his side. So he was taken to hospital. And after lots of tests, it became clear something was very wrong. A rare genetic problem with the walls of his blood vessels that caused them to rupture and fall apart. Incurable. Nothing anyone could do. And John died in hospital a few days later, shortly before his 26th birthday. Why is it like this? I've not told that story because I think it's some kind of special case. In fact, quite the reverse. I know most of us here will have stories just as sad and as painful. Many of us will have known much, much worse, and some I know much more recently. And I don't want anything I say this morning to trivialise that. This is the world that we live in. A world where people die, where our bodies go wrong and fall apart, where cancer and heart attacks and road accidents claim the lives of our loved ones. It's a world, as Paul puts it in this section of Romans, where death reigns. Did you see that? Look at verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam. And verse 17, by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man. And just in case we missed it, in verse 21, slightly different phrasing, but the same essential point. Sin reigned in death. Death reigns in our world. Reigns as undisputed king. Reigns over everyone and reigns as a tyrant, as a pitiless dictator. No consultations, no democratic votes, death calls the shots. And despite all our efforts and all our medical brilliance, in the end, there's nothing we can do. Death is the ultimate statistic, the saying goes. One out of one die. Except they're not statistics, are they? Those who die. They're your loved ones and mine. They're John's and Peter's and Helen's and Joe's. And one day, they're you and me. And when we look death in the face, we feel, don't we, that it's wrong, that it shouldn't be like this. So why is it? And what can be done about it? Those are the questions that Paul's answering for us here. They're not easy answers. This is not an easy passage. But they're crucial answers for all of us who live in a world where death reigns. So let's look at Paul's answers together. We'll do that under three headings. They're on the back of the service order, if that helps you. And first, let's see the root problem. Because Paul's clear from the outset that the reign of death is wrong. It shouldn't be this way. Death is not the rightful ruler of our world. It's a usurper. An alien invader. So where does it come from? Look at verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. The problem, the Bible tells us, is that sin has entered our world. And death through sin. This reign of death that we all live under is a consequence of sin, human sin. Our rejection of God and his rule, our determination to call the shots and do whatever we want. But be careful, because what Paul's not saying here is that our root problem is that we as individuals sin and break God's law. That we do, every one of us. And Paul has showed us that in devastating detail in chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Romans. But it's not what he's saying here, because he's showing us a deeper root problem. Our own personal sinful behaviour, says Paul, is not our root problem. It's a symptom, but it's not the cause. Our root problem stretches back to the beginning of humanity itself. All the way back, did you see that? To one man, the first man, Adam. The state of our world, the reign of death everywhere over everyone is a direct consequence of Adam's sin. Of what's described for us back in Genesis chapter 3. Adam's eating the fruit that God had forbidden him to eat. Adam's trespass, as Paul calls it here, he's stepping over the line, rejecting God's good rule and saying, no, I'll do it my way, I'll decide. That's where it comes from. That's where it all went wrong. Verse 12, sin entered the world through one man. Verse 15, the many died by the trespass of the one man. Verse 17, by the trespass of the one man, death reigned. Now that might sound totally bonkers to you. You might well be thinking, Adam, was there really such a person? And even if there was, what on earth would that have to do with me? I mean, I'm not him. I wasn't there, and I can't be held to account for his actions, can I? Surely God should hold me to account for my actions, my decisions. Well, he will. And Paul's already been at pains to show us in chapters 1, 2, and 3 that no one will pass that test, that no one is righteous, that all have sinned. But, Paul's saying, that's not our root problem. Look at verse 13. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. God's law shows our sin, charges our own personal rebellion and law-breaking to our account. But it didn't start there. Sin was in the world before the law was given. Death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Even before God gave his law through Moses, death was reigning in our world. Why? Why? Because of Adam, that first man who the Bible is clear was real and was responsible. Adam, you see, wasn't just our ancestor. He was our representative. And so his actions, his sin, and the reign of death that it caused have applied to every single person ever since. That's the root problem. That's why life is the way it is. Adam's problem is our problem. His decision continues to shape all human experience. And that can be hard to get our heads around. I think particularly in a culture like ours that's so focused on the importance of the individual. It's hard, but I don't know, maybe this helps. Um, Let's have the photo up. Can you tell me who this is a picture of? Someone call it out. Thank you. He's David Davis. He's the man responsible for negotiating the UK's withdrawal from the European Union. You might have a view on how well you think he's doing at the moment. But crucially, he's doing it not just for himself, but as our representative. And so whatever he agrees, whatever deal he negotiates will apply to us and to all our children for generations to come. I think that's one reason why Brexit is such a divisive, difficult issue. And after it happens, it's no good my grandson in years from now turning up in Calais and demanding his rights as an EU citizen. And saying, but, but hold on, I never left the EU. I wasn't even there. I wasn't even born. No, what David Davis does now will count for him then, whether he likes it or not. Some actions have far-reaching consequences. The past does shape the future. And so... Isn't it at least possible that our root problem just might be much, much further back than we ever imagined, all the way back to Adam? And then secondly, let's see the shadowy pattern. Because Paul takes us back to Adam, to our root problem, so he can show us the pattern that promises to solve it. Did you notice that word pattern tucked away at the end of verse 14? Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. The word is literally type. And it means a foreshadowing, an outline or pattern that points to something else. It's a bit like seeing someone's shadow. You, You don't see the real person, the detail, the color, the face, but you see the shape, the outline, that points to the person who's coming. And sometimes, shadows can be scary. Did you ever have that experience as a child? You're tucked up in bed, and you hear a sound. Footsteps coming closer. And then a shadow falls across the doorway, and it gets bigger, and it's coming closer. And it's just, Mum come to check that you're okay. She's the reality behind the shadow. She's what the shadowy pattern was pointing to, and the shadow was terrifying. But the reality is glorious. Now that's a silly example, But I think it helps us to get to the heart of Paul's big point in this passage. That when we look at Adam, we see a terrifying shadow. The shadow of sin and death falling across our world. And the effects of that shadow are terrible. But the shadow points to something else, to someone else. To a reality that's not bad news, but glorious Good news. Paul takes us back to Adam, in whom it all went wrong, to show us that shadowy pattern that points to Jesus, in whom it can all be made right. And so the rest of our passage is a series of comparisons between the dark shadow and the bright reality. Between the first man, Adam, and a second man, Jesus Christ. On the one hand, we have Adam and his sin, his trespass, his disobedience to God's good command. And what was the result of that sin? Middle of verse 16, the judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. Adam's sin leads to the just judgment of a perfectly holy God who rightly sees Adam's rebellion and condemns it who announces the right and proper penalty for it death death for Adam and for all humanity who has followed after him physical death here and now in this life an eternal death eternal separation from God and all his goodness For all eternity in the future. That's the shadowy pattern that has fallen over us. Disobedience leading to judgment, condemnation, and death. And gloriously, Jesus fits that pattern perfectly, but reverses the terrible chain of human lostness at each and every point. Verse 19. In the place of Adam's disobedience, Jesus presents the obedience of the one man. Jesus' perfect, sinless life lived in total obedience to his father. And the result? Verse 18, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. In place of a just judgment on Adam's sin that's counted ours in him that brings God's condemnation, Jesus, through his obedience, his perfect righteous life, secures our justification as his righteousness is counted as ours in him and we're made right before a holy god and so we can experience not death but life here and now and on and on forever verse 21 eternal life in God's presence, experiencing all of God's goodness forever. Do you see the pattern? Do you see how Jesus gloriously, perfectly fills the dark shadow with amazing light, perfectly reverses the curse and undoes the damage? How we're lost in Adam, but saved in Jesus Christ. That's why we need Jesus. That's why everyone, whoever they are, needs Him. Because we're lost in our first representative, Adam. And nothing we can ever do as equally sinful people can ever undo that. Trying to do that is like me popping over to Brussels to see if I can sort out Brexit. It won't work. We can only be saved by trusting in another perfect representative, Jesus Christ, to do for us what we can never do for ourselves. And then finally, let's look at the extravagant gift. Because Paul's aware of a danger here in lining up Adam and Jesus, dark shadow and bright reality. That's, We see what Jesus, that what God has done to save us in Christ as logical, but a bit cold. It explains, sure, how the death of one man Jesus can pay the penalty for our sin. How his righteous life can secure our eternal life. It makes sense. But it risks being about as heartwarming as an accountant's balance sheet. And apologies to the accountants here this morning. Got into trouble with accountants after the first service. <laughs> Sin, obedience. Condemnation, justification. Death, life. Quid, pro quo. Profit and loss. It's perfect accounting logic, isn't it? But the risk is that it, it risks Never getting from our heads to our hearts. He gets all the crucial details of the gospel right. But it leaves us cold. It never melts us. And so Paul wants us to see what Jesus has done for us. Not just as pattern, but as a gift. An outrageous, extravagant gift of grace. and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. You hear Paul's non-too-subtle message, look at the gift. You know, when someone loves you, And they give you a costly, carefully chosen gift. They don't want you to unwrap it like an accountant. Coldly calculate its value and say, yeah, I can see how that would have been a logical thing to buy. Try it. It won't work well. No, they want you to treasure it and delight in it, and in the love that the gift expresses. That's what gifts are for. And out of a heart that overflows with love and grace, God has given us the most costly, extravagant gift. A salvation in Jesus that's not merely equal, but opposite to Adam's fall, but gloriously, outrageously better. Verse 16 again. Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. Adam's sin received the fair and fitting verdict. Condemnation. It was logical. It was fair. But in God's outrageous kindness, all the millions and millions of sins that have followed since Adam, from every single human being since him, who all of us have spat in God's face and lived in his world in utter disregard for him, all that sin has been met not with logic but with grace, with the outrageous gift of life at the cost of the death of his own son. What kind of God responds like this? And verse 17, if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Adam's sin brought the reign of death into our world. All that misery and suffering and heartache and loss. But in Christ, through the cross and the resurrection, death's reign is broken. Death's crown is taken. And that crown is given to who? To us. To us, to those of us who trust in Jesus. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ? In Christ, God doesn't just balance the books so that he can sneak sinful people like you and me awkwardly into his kingdom. A bit like embarrassing guests at a party. I've paid the admission price, but now can you just stay in the corner and try not to get noticed, try not to embarrass yourself too much? That's not how it is. God welcomes us open-armed as kings and queens, co-heirs with Christ, to reign in life with him forever. Why would God treat you and treat me with such extravagant generosity? How can he be so gracious and so good? Those are the questions we'll be asking ourselves for all eternity. When the dreadful reign of death is finally broken. As this extravagant gift of life for all who trust in Jesus never ends, never runs out, never stops amazing us. And that's the gift we're rejoicing in by faith this morning, that we'll be rejoicing in as we turn to celebrate the Lord's Supper in a few moments. The terrible reign of death broken in Jesus. The glorious reign of life to come. Let me pray for us. Lord God, what love is this? What staggering, outrageous grace that you would meet our sin, not with condemnation, but with the righteousness of Christ, that you would break the reign of death and that you would bring us eternal life with you forever. Father, that is a staggering thing. Would you amaze us with it afresh this morning? In Jesus' name, amen.